0: Appreciate their hard work. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. When you find yourself there, put your uh, marker or a piece of paper, something to mark that spot. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9. When you find that, give you a second to find that. Then we'll go to Exodus 35. Exodus 35. So Old and New Testament today. So 2 Corinthians 9. And Exodus 35. All right, when you find yourself in Exodus 35, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read two verses together. Verses 21 through 22. Exodus 35, 21 through 22. Uh, When I was preaching at Prince of Peace Baptist last week... We got to our text, and all of a sudden they just automatically stood up i didn 't even have to say anything. I thought that was good um, just what they were used to there and I know probably some, most of you would do that too, but you 're so kind to wait for me to say that and uh, you probably just don 't want to be standing by yourself either but um, if you if you uh, notice on Sunday mornings when we do our reading, we do stand uh, but let 's do that together. just two verses out loud and uh, starting verse twenty one And ending in verse 22. Exodus 35... Twenty-one, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings And tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. God's people, with a willing spirit, brought the Lord's offering to um, build up the tabernacle. In this offering, nothing was confiscated. Nobody was uh, strong-armed or pressured. Nobody was intimidated. Nobody was... Uh, forced to bring an offering in fact that would be kind of uh, uh, it would go against what the word offering means anyways they are offering up um, the gift was uh, a gift it was not a tax if you would 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 if you want let's turn over there real quickly since we are already standing let's read just verse 7 we're, we have a whole text of verses that we're going to look at, but verse 7 uh, we'll look at together, Second Corinthians 9, verse 7. Let's read that verse out loud. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God wants us to give freely from our hearts. Adrian Rogers said, what you do not freely give, God neither needs nor wants. Sometimes we think, well, I'm doing God a service by giving. He doesn't want that kind of an offering. Uh, He doesn't need that offering. Don't give of necessity. Don't give because there's a need. And sometimes because of a need, uh, we are... um, we are prompted to give. I'm not talking about that, but we're not giving just because, oh, you know, if I don't give, then the, the church is going to cave in or God's going to go bankrupt. That's that's not true. Uh, don't give grudgingly, meaning that you don't want to, but rather somebody has pressured you to give, giving grudgingly. We're to give cheerfully. So you see there, to give Not of necessity, not grudgingly, but he says in verse 7, look at it if you will. God loveth a, what's the next word? Cheerful giver. Now stay with me today. This is going to be a very uh, good uh, time together. I know that we're going to have a good time here. This is not going to be, like I said, we're not going to pressure anyone to do anything today. Okay? You need to do what you need to do because God has told you to do it. Um, The word cheerful there. It's a Greek word, um, "hilaros." It means willingly and merrily. It's where we get our uh, English word, one of our English words from. The word hilarious comes from that root, but it really just means to give cheerfully, happily. If you give till it hurts, it will just keep on hurting. Okay, If you get out of emotional pressure, later on, uh, that emotional pressure wears off and you will resent giving. But God wants us to give from a cheerful, willing heart. Let's pray together and I'll let you sit down because you're wondering when I'm going to let you sit down. So let's just pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you that we can see in the Old and the New Testament uh, examples of Uh, of what you want, an example in the Old Testament and a command in the New Testament or an instruction, prescription that you want giving to come from our heart. Not because of what people think, other people think of us, we're pressured in some way, we are forced, our will is forced. No. God, you want us to, to serve you in our time, our talents, and our treasure out of the heart. You want it to come in a natural way. Help us, Lord, to prepare our hearts because of this. Help us to be prepared by uh, reading your word, listening to your Holy Spirit, by obeying in areas that you've called us to obey, by being sensitive uh, to what you're doing in the world, what you're doing in our city even, what you're doing in our homes, in our churches. Lord, help us to be sensitive, but Lord, help us to not do what we do because of some external pressure, but rather because you've told us to do it. Thank you, God, for your, for your word and your spirit today. Lead us, help us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. If there's anybody that thinks, boy, I came to Soul's Harbor, and that, that pastor pressured me, you're wrong. I don't think that I do that. I mean, I could, uh, could be wrong, but I don't think that I do that. I'm definitely not going to do that today. God can put all the pressure on you that he wants to, but I'm not going to. If anybody comes here and twists your arm, it's not at the direction of the pastor. We don't send you a bill. I've heard of churches doing that. I couldn't believe that, but we don't do any of that. Uh, If you don't want to give, don't give. But don't stand in the way of those who do. In the second half of 2 Corinthians, Paul challenges the Gentile Christians. Now, by the way, whether they were Jewish or Gentile, they were all still part of God's family. If they were saved, they're still Christians. But they thought of things differently. The Jews thought of things differently because of their worldview, because of their past than the Gentiles. But here in this uh, second half of 2 Corinthians, Paul is challenging the Gentile Christians to take up an offering for the Jewish Christians or the church in Jerusalem. And uh, they were suffering, those Christians were suffering from a famine. They were going through physical suffering because of the famine. And the offering that Paul was collecting was partly to relieve the pressure of that famine and the poverty that was Uh, that church was facing, but it was also a goodwill gesture from the Gentile Christians to the Jewish believers. Today we see here in verse number six where we're gonna start, we're gonna see number one, the principles of generous giving. Chapter nine of 2 Corinthians, verse number six. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly Shall reap also sparingly. And he which, look at it, verse 6. What's the next word? He that, he which soweth, what's the next word? Bountifully. Bountifully. Oh, let's do that again. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Sowing and reaping. We see this principle borne out in scripture, several different places. Uh, But he says, if you sow sparingly or little, if you sow little, you will reap little. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Tony Evans has said, when it comes to living your life as a Christian, think agriculturally. Think agriculturally, not industrially. When it comes to living your life, think like a farmer. Think gardens, not microwaves. Okay, It takes a while for those carrots and those tomatoes to grow from a seed to a plant, right? Or the the tomato plant. It takes a while for that to happen. Um, But you got to think long term. Sowing and reaping Sometimes we can uh, become stingy. We think that is how we're going to become wealthy. If we're stingy, then we'll become wealthy. uh, Because we're hoarding and we're keeping it to ourselves. Uh, Of course, when we become wealthy, then we'll find happiness, so we think, right? So if I'm going to be happy, then I need to become wealthy, and if I'm going to be wealthy, I have to be stingy. The problem that many of us have is not wanting more, but wanting more than somebody else. We try to keep up with the Joneses. You ever heard that before? Trying to keep up with the Joneses. And we think that somehow if we have what somebody else has, we begin to covet, we begin to become covetous. We think if we have what they have, then we'll become happy. And uh you know the Joneses they get a new car, we have to get a new car, right? And the Joneses they get a, a trampoline. Well, our kids have to have a trampoline, right? And if the Joneses, they get, uh, if they uh, uh, get a new house, well, we have to get a new house. If the Joneses uh, do this, we got to do this. The problem is by the time we, uh, since we're keeping up with the Joneses, by the time we catch up to the Joneses, they refinance. So, you know, we live our life trying to keep up Thinking that somehow we're going to be happy if we have what they have. But that's not the key to happiness. Being uh, stingy or being greedy and, cu- and trying to have what other people have. The harder you work for things and the harder you try to hold on to things, the less you will enjoy your life. A pastor went to see a man once, a man in his church. This man had all the... Marks of affluence. He had a wonderful business. It was very obvious by the house that he was living in that uh, in the car that he drove, the resources they had, this man could, he could uh, give a significant offering to the church, you know. The pastor went to him and talked to him about the need that they had at the church, and he thought, I need to go talk to that man because he has everything, and I'm sure he would be able to meet the need at the church. He said, well, now pastor... There are some things that maybe you don't know. He said, Pastor, do you know that I have an invalid mother who has absolutely no resources at all? She is in a nursing home, needing expensive care. You didn't know that, did you, Pastor? He said, Well, no, I didn't know that. He said, Do you also know that I have a brother who died and he left a widow with four little children? absolutely no source of income. And uh, you didn't know that, did you, Pastor? He said, no, I didn't know that. He said, Pastor, did you know that I have a son on the mission field who lives in a third world country, impoverished, and my son himself is living below the national poverty level in that country? You didn't know that, did you, Pastor? He said, no, I didn't. He said, now, pastor, I want to ask you a question. If I have not given to any of them one red cent, what makes you think that I'll give you anything? There are some people who are going to uh, not give anything, and they can find a reason for not giving anything. Some of the uh, most generous people that you will ever meet uh, don't look like they have anything or they don't act like they have anything. Sometimes sometimes the wealthiest people that you will meet uh, don't live opulent lifestyles. They're careful with their money, but they can be very generous at times. And uh, God does bless those who, uh, who are generous with what he has given them. So he says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully it sometimes takes a long time before you see the results that's why you got to think like a like a farmer and a gardener uh think gardens and not microwaves right so it's going to take a long time before you see the results but the seeds that are planted will eventually take root and they will break through the surface and you will see the results um Albert Barnes says, he commentates on this, he says, God will bestow rewards in proportion to what is given. These rewards may refer to results in this life or to rewards in heaven. See, so many people, uh, even people preaching behind a pulpit will say, if you give to God, he's going to bless you financially. He's going to bless you in a great way in this life. And in some sense that what they're teaching is a, it is a false teaching, but what they're teaching is that if you give to God, he is somehow, uh, he is, it is a guarantee that he is going to, uh, give back to you in the same way that you gave to him. So if you give $10, he's going to give you money back, but it will be in a greater and more significant way. I do believe that God, God as as my dad used to say, God's Uh, scoop shovel is bigger than our scoop shovel, meaning that when we give to him, he will give back to us in a greater way, but it's not always going to be in the way that we think. Maybe the reward will be here, but most likely the reward will be in heaven. All who have ever been, Albert Barnes says, who, who have ever been in the habit of giving liberally to the objects of benevolence can testify that they have lost nothing but have reaped in proportion to their liberality. Letter A under uh, the principle of generous giving is sowing and reaping, the principle of sowing generously to reap generously. Letter B, the attitude of the giver. Look at verse number seven. We read verse six, so let's go to verse seven. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God wants a willing offering. And in order for there to be a willing offering, there has to come from the heart of a willing giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Stewardship does not begin with giving. Did you know that? Stewardship begins with a heart of love. In order for us to give cheerfully and to give willingly, it means that we need to start by loving the Lord and loving what the Lord loves. When you begin to love the Lord and love what God cares about, he will give you that heart To give, It will be a natural thing. That's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians 9-7. He wants us to understand that God wants a heart that just naturally gives, not a heart that is pressured, not a a Christian, not a believer that is forced or coerced into giving. That is not what God wants. God wants us to have a change of heart so that we give the way that he uh, would want us to. Stewardship doesn't begin with giving. It begins with loving. If you love your children, your church, the Lord, if you want to do it, you can give uh, and out of a heart of love. Somebody has once said that you can give, I believe it's Amy Carmichael, you can give. Now don't miss this. It's the third time I'm repeating the same phrase. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without you probably know the rest, right? Giving, okay? You can give without loving. I've known lots of people who have given for the wrong reason. They didn't love. They were, uh, they were concerned about what somebody thought. They were concerned about uh, the pressure that was being put on them. They gave in and they gave. Uh, but you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving and so if god changes our heart if we allow him to to work on our heart we begin to love god and love what god loves out of that heart will naturally flow generosity and giving to what god's uh, calling us to give to so we see the attitude of the giver cheerful willing loving letter c we see god's faithfulness how does god bless those who give generously we got three verses verse 8 Starting verse 8 through 10. Uh, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. See, we're talking about God's faithfulness. Is God faithful? Is God always faithful? Some, some might have been in the Marines here. I don't know, but the, the Marines, always faithful, right? Did you know that's what Semper Fi means? Semper fidelis. Always faithful. And God is always faithful. Verse number eight, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. The next three verses are, there's a lot of, a lot of information here, so we're going to break it down. Okay, verse number eight, starting again, God is able. I like that right there. Of course, we got to keep it in context, but God is able. Do not suppose that by giving liberally, you will be reduced to poverty, You will be reduced to want. You should have faith in God who is able to take care of you and able to take care of all abundantly. He will meet your needs. God is able. We see there, verse 8 God is able to make all grace abound towards you. All grace, God's exhaustless treasure. It is a treasure that you can live upon. You can live upon the, the, uh, uh, the uh, principle as well as the, uh, every aspect of God's investment, the interest, the principle. As long as life lasts, you can live on the grace of God. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. He says there that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Verse number nine, as it is written, well, where was it written? Psalm 112, verse 9. Paul's quoting the psalmist. Psalm 112, verse 9, he hath dispersed. So he says there, verse number nine, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endureth forever, or his goodness endureth forever, his gift and his blessing endureth forever, his horn shall be exalted with honor. Paul writes, as is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. His benevolence, that word righteous is uh, another way of saying his benevolence, his deed of benevolence shall remain verse number 10 we see now that he ministereth uh, ministereth seed to the he that ministereth seed to the sower both ministereth bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness Uh, he that ministereth seed to the sower Albert Barnes says the idea is that when a man scatters seed in his field God provides him with the means of sowing again So sometimes we think, well, if I give to God, then I'm not going to have anything left. That's called faith. God wants to see our faith. When we understand that when we give to the point where we don't have anything left to meet our need, that's going to require us to come to God in faith and say, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to obey in what you've told me to do but you're going to get to provide the rest for me because that's how it's going to work because that's what you have to do because I can't do it. And when we can't do it, well, God is able. God is able. And so what he says there is give in faith, knowing that God will provide, but he'll also provide not just enough to meet your need, but he'll provide enough for you to even give again. See, this is what God wants. He wants us to grow and build our faith. I have seen Christians who have, have trusted God in this area of giving, and they have abounded and abounded and abounded, but guess what? They didn't stop giving. Sometimes we think, well, if I give and God blesses me, then I'm gonna hoard it all. But they've learned that the key, and I think Jack Kyle's preached a message on this, the key to getting is giving. If you want to be blessed, and have have a, a blessing, if you want to even say uh, uh, to take care of your needs, if you want to be able to take care of your needs in a greater way, God says you need to give because you become then the vessel through which God blesses other people. It, there, are, uh, definitely, um, there are definitely blessings that come from just being that vessel of blessing to others some of you know what i'm talking about some of you have not yet understood and come to realize this learn to trust the lord learn to trust god in your time your talents and your treasure there have been times where i really haven't had time to deal with something But I ask God, God, I feel like you're you're, you're telling me to do something here to give this person some of my time. I don't really have time to deal with this. But God, when I just trust him, when I felt God's calling to take care of something, God miraculously provided in meeting my need of not having enough time to deal with something. It, it works also in the area of treasure. All of your resources, whatever God has given to you to be a steward of, whatever resource it is, whether it's your time, your treasure, your whole life, this principle applies. So he says there, look at it again, verse 10 He that ministers seed to the sower both minister bread for your food. So whoever gives seed to the sower. He gives you bread for your food, and he will multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. It is a blessing when you get a hold of this truth, when you begin to see God take care of your needs and meet your needs. He says there, um, uh, Barnes says the idea is that when man scatters seed in the field, God provides him with a means of sowing again. He not only provides him a harvest to supply his needs, but he blesses him also in giving him the ability to sow again. Paul desired not only that God would supply their needs, but he desired that he would give them the ability to do good again. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. I want you to go there and see this. Don't miss this. But Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Jesus says here, give, you probably have this memorized, don't you? Give, and it shall be given unto you. Same principle. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Don't think that for some reason, if you are generous with God, that he's gonna be stingy with you. God will meet your needs, and he will even bless you in such a way that you'll be able to do it again. The intended outcome, we see letter D here, verse number 11, going back to Luke, I'm sorry, uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter nine, verse number 11. Let's look at verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Barnes says, Paul is telling them the true reason why wealth was bestowed, why they were given to. Why God allowed them to be bounty, uh, to have bounty in their life. It was not for the purposes of luxury and self-gratification, not to be spent in sensual enjoyment, not for parade and display. It was that it might be distributed to others in such a way as it would cause them to be thankful to God. The reason God does anything in our lives the reason that God does anything through our lives, the reason that people are healed, the reason that people are blessed, the purpose of it all is that God would get the glory. The reason that God allows us to be used to give is that it's a means of taking care of their needs, but it's also a means for them to bring glory to God, for them to give thanksgiving to God. Albert Barnes says uh, here, being enriched in everything, Paul is telling the true reason why wealth was to be sold. It was not for their own purposes, but is that they would give to others. Secondly, today, not only do we see the principle of generous giving, number two, we see the impact of generous giving. Verse number 12 uh, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Again, the same idea. God knows what the need is, He knows. Uh, what the need is, and he wants to use you and I to meet the need. Don't exempt yourself from this. Don't say, well, I don't have anything to give. God wants to give through you. So when you exercise some faith and give what you have, if you're faithful in that which is least, he can trust you with more. He that is faithful in least is faithful also in much, the scripture says. So when you give to God what you have, some people say, well, I'll be generous whenever I, whenever I win the lottery. Guess what? If you're not, By the way, you shouldn't play the lottery. But if you're not generous right now, I'm just using it as an example. Sorry, Miss Jessica. All right. She's getting concerned down here. But if you are not faithful right now. What makes you think for some reason that whenever, you, uh, whenever your ship comes in that you are going to somehow become a generous person? You have, that's right. You have to be faithful when you don't have much. And by the way, to the rest of the world, we are wealthy. To the rest of the world, to most of the world, I should say, we are wealthy. Um, so we see here, That uh, God knows what the need is, but he wants to use you and I to meet that need. Uh, We see there that phrase in verse number 12, the administration of the service. This was the way to meet the needs of others, but it was also a way to serve God. You see that word, the administration of this service, this is a way of worshiping God. Worshiping God. The saints in Jerusalem were in great need. And giving to them was a way to bring joy and glory, uh, but uh, bring glory to God, but also bring joy to those people and to bring uh, a thankful heart out of those people in Jerusalem, those Christians there gratitude and thanksgiving was the response of those that received. Look at verse 13. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. By experiencing your ministry of giving, Paul is saying because they are going to experience your ministry of giving your faithfulness to God, your service to God, the Jews in Jerusalem will see proof of your Christianity. They will see these people are true believers because for some of them the Jews in Jerusalem they were skeptical they were are these people really are they really uh, believers in God these are the Gentiles these are the heathen but because they are given this opportunity to serve the Lord through their giving it will prove uh, their faithfulness to God, and it will bring those. Uh, it will cause the believers in Jerusalem to glorify God. And we see there in verse number fourteen. Uh, let me finish verse thirteen. For your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Verse fourteen. And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Uh, the understanding is that not only will the generosity uh, cause the saints in Jerusalem to praise and thank God, it'll move them to pray for the Corinthians and it will stir up Christian love and friendship among the saints. When your focus, and my focus, is on pleasing the Lord, when we begin to love the Lord, (laughs) we will begin to love what the Lord loves, amen? Uh, When we begin to focus on doing God's will and glorifying Him, the blessings of God will be upon your life. Like I said, some people think, well, this is my, uh, this is my trick. This, uh, you know, this is gonna be my trick as a Christian. You might think this. There's people that, ha- that do think this, that somehow I'm gonna give to God and then I'm gonna become wealthy. That's not at all what he's saying. But you will have the blessings of God in your life. It may not be monetary, for most people, it will not. But you will have blessings in your life. You will be at peace with God. You will uh, be able to forgive a lot easier. When you begin to love God and love, what, love who God loves and love what God loves, you will be able to forgive. You will, be, you will not be somebody that uh, develops an ulcer because you're so anxious and worried about everything. Uh, Proverbs 16, verse 7, this verse came to mind when I was thinking about this. When a man's ways please the Lord. What that means is that when we begin to love the Lord and we begin to, to do God's will and seek to do what God wants us to do, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you begin to love the Lord like you ought to, and I love the Lord like I ought to, I will love those that God loves. Even those situations that are so uh, hard to deal with, the people in our life that are, that are hard to deal with, the enemies, if you will, in our life, the people that are, are, are uh, you know, just so difficult. When they see the Lord in your life, the Bible says that even they will have a hard time being your enemy. He'll make them to be at peace with you. Those who live to please the Lord don't have a lot of drama and strife in their lives. I'm just gonna tell you right now, it is the carnal Christian, the Christian who seeks for their own good and only lives for themselves, it is those shallow Christians that have a lot of drama. They have a lot of uh, strife in their life. Those who please the Lord get along with people. Amen. They're, not, they're not always at odds with their brother or their sister because they love the Lord and they lo- love who the Lord loves. Uh, those that are uh, living to please the Lord, they are pleasant to be around. Hey, we all have bad days. I will raise my hand and say I have Miss Deborah has two hands up in the air. We all have bad days. And some of them, you know, maybe because of health and other things, but some of them is just our, our own sin. Yeah, we just, we're just being cranky and ornery. And I, when I think of ornery, I think of like a, a four-year-old boy or a three-year-old boy like A.J., I just think that that's how I was. When I was four and when I was five, I was in my grandma's Sunday school class. And I was ornery. I was so ornery. And it probably didn't help that was my grandma teaching the Sunday school class because I knew what I could get away with. And it was pretty much murder at four and five and uh, with my grandma. And she would take me out every single week. I would be bad in Sunday school. And she would take me out And I was so embarrassed because I'd be walking past the third and fourth and fifth and sixth graders in their Sunday school classes and she'd be dragging me and she had that look on her face you know and she dragged me over to the wherever you know where we were she was going to deal with me every single week and she was going to give me a whooping because she was my grandma and she could do that and so and this was the early 90s, if you can imagine. Just, you know, we were in the storefront church on 37th and Lisbon down in the old dungeon of a basement. And uh, she dragged me over there and she, she's going to give me a spanking. She did this every single week. And the only time I really was afraid was when I knew she was going to tell my parents. Because I was not afraid of my grandma. I'm sorry, I just wasn't. Because she would give me a spanking. And she put her hand on my backside and she would hit her hand. I'm like, what good does that do? (laughs) All the energy of that spanking was transferred into her own hand. I mean, man, I I could get away with anything. I was ornery. And sometimes we can be ornery. You don't have to be a four-year-old to be ornery, cranky. We have days like that. But there are some Christians who live their life like that. And it's not, be, and you might say, well, if you're, if you're under conviction this morning, you say, well, yeah, I am cranky all the time, but I do give. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so this is not what, I'm not under conviction about giving. But why do you give? And what I'm saying, this, is, this just really comes back to the heart. See, giving is just, uh, if you want to put it this way, it's just a symptom of what's going on on the inside. It should be, but sometimes you can exhibit symptoms of things that really aren't going on, okay, Sometimes you can, um, let's say, just do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. What I'm getting at and what I believe Paul is saying here is that when we give for the right reason, we will have blessing in our life. We will be, and one of the blessings is that we're at peace with ourselves, peace with God, and at peace with other people around us. It's not, and, and, and yes, we have bad days, but we don't live our life angry and bitter because we learned that it's more blessed to give than to receive, and it's more blessed to just be, uh, have a heart of love for others and a heart of love for the Lord, and we are at that great peace in our life. And um, people who live their life to please the Lord, that, heart, that have that heart of love, they get along with people. They are pleasant to be around, and it's partly because they don't see others as a threat. They are genuinely happy. They don't look at everyone else as competition, because we don't care. We're at peace with God. Our ways please the Lord. We're not living to please men. We're living to please the Lord. So there's that peace and joy that is a, really a byproduct of being right with God. Uh, people who are pleasing the Lord, they are grateful to be alive. They're grateful to have clothing. They don't care what clothing it is, as long as it's clothing, right? Uh, to have food and shelter. I'm not patting myself on the back at all because I know I've got problems, but I remember one of them wasn't, this wasn't my problem. I, and I was kind of shocked by this when I went off to Bible college and just sitting there and eating in the dining hall. Now that I look back, okay, it wasn't the greatest food in the world. I mean, for what we were paying to go to college, I'm surprised we even got to eat, to be honest with you. Really, I mean, our, our school, there was a lot of sacrifices made by the people in that church and in the, in the college. Those instructors could have been paid two or three times what they were getting paid to teach us. So we weren't paying a whole lot for what we were getting, but I sat down and I just listened to those five people around me just complain about the food. As a freshman, I'm thinking, well, I'm, that's definitely not something I'm struggling with today because I enjoy eating. But, um, you know, I, maybe I don't taste my food. I don't know what the problem was. But, you know, I just was shocked that these kids were complaining about this. But, um, and and, and I, I know that I came from a home where my mom was a good cook and she took care of all of those things. And I enjoyed being at home. But I was excited to be at school and away from home for a little bit and to try a new adventure. But those kids were just complaining. Why do we have to complain about food when we have food? Some people don't have food. See, I think it's good for us to go without sometimes because it causes us to learn to be grateful for what we have. You talk to somebody and there's fewer and fewer, but somebody that has gone that that, that went through the Great Depression, they were thankful for what they had. They didn't waste things. Okay, anyways, uh, now that I'm done talking about the sin that I don't have, I guess, is not complaining about food. But sometimes we complain about our shelter. We say, well, I wish I had a bigger house. You know, we lived in a big house downtown, and my mom was so thankful when we moved away from that house because I don't have to clean this thing anymore and pay the heat bills and all of those things. Sometimes we just, we think the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, don't we? Those... Who live to please the Lord, they're grateful. They're grateful to be alive. You might say, well, I, don't, I, I want to be a blessing to others, going back to what we we're talking about by being that conduit of blessing. You might say, well, I want to be a blessing to others, but I don't have a lot to give. Again, give what you can. John 6, 5, and I'll read the story. Jesus lifted up his eyes, saw the great company come unto him, 5,000 plus women and children. He saith unto Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? You don't think Jesus knew the answer to that question? He was testing him to see what he was going to say. He said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. He we're going to need a lot of money to pay for this. It's going to be a big food bill. Verse number 8, One of the disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, Andrew saith unto him, There is a lad which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. Guess what? Jesus, I found a kid that has some food. He's got five loaves and two fishes. Honestly, that was barely enough, probably, for that kid to eat, right? He said, But what are they among so many? But what did Jesus do? He showed his power. God was glorified through what Jesus did by taking those five loaves and the two fish, and he multiplied it for those that were there. They had enough food. In fact, they had more than enough food, right? I heard a story that really blessed me. Back in World War II, the Nazis had captured some French uh, people. They put these French people in Nazi Germany munitions factory to make bombs. And uh, so they took these folks that were prisoners of war they put them in that factory. They were making bombs that would be dropped on their homeland in France. But what happened was when the bombs would fall in France, they would not detonate. They didn't explode. There was something in the mechanism that didn't work. Of course, these French had cleverly sabotaged the bombs. They knew they were going to fall on their homeland. The French in France wanted to find out why the bombs weren't detonating. So they took one of the bombs apart and they began to take others apart. They found that these bombs had little notes, little pieces of paper in them. And this is what they said. We are doing the best that we can with what we've got, where we are every chance we got. I love that. Here they were, they were prisoners of war. And yet they said, we're doing the best we can with what we've got every chance we get. What would happen if we took on that motto for our life? Rather than saying, oh, I don't have what that person has. If I had more, I would do more. But what are we doing with what we have? So if we would just take on that model, we're doing the best that we can with what we got every chance that we get. Little is much when God is in it. Amen? Letter C, lastly, verse 15, we see the ultimate gratitude here the gratitude that we need to have towards God, recognizing God's unspeakable, indescribable gift. He says in verse 15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. There's nothing that you could give, Corinthians, that would ever compare to what Jesus has already given to you. What an awesome way to end this. He says there, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable. That word unspeakable there uh, is a Greek word. It means uh, cannot be related to. It's unutterable. And it occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. The idea is that no words can properly express the greatness of the gift of the Savior, Jesus. The gift of God that was bestowed upon man. It is higher than the mind can conceive is greater than language could ever express. It's unspeakable. This gift is unspeakably great, whose value no language can express, no heart can fully conceive. Uh, it is great because of God's own greatness and His glory. Uh, it is also great because of the inexpressible love which God showed. God, the uh, who, who is great, and to be glorified and honored and worshiped forever, chose to express his love to those who did not deserve anything except for eternity in hell. It is great because of the unutterable sufferings which Jesus endured. So no language can do justice to the work of our Savior and the gift of our Father. And no heart can really even understand the ramifications. We can just accept by faith what God did. We can't explain the love of God. We can't explain the, uh, the, the gift that God gave us. It's indescribable. But we can accept by faith. I think in some ways that might be why some people have a hard time getting saved. They think, there's no way that anybody could ever love me that much. There's no way. I have to surely work to uh, earn this great thing salvation i mean salvation alone is so uh uh, unimaginable unbelievable what god could or what 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 uh amazing thing it is to be saved or to be freed from hell and god's wrath let alone The one who is ready to pour out his wrath upon us is the same one who gave his son to save us. The perfect balance of justice and mercy. And what we need to do? Accept his free gift, but give him thanks. And one of the greatest ways that we can do that is by expressing The love of God to others in the same means that God expressed his love towards us. Giving, giving, giving. Guess what? I preached a whole sermon on giving. I know it's 1217. We're about to be done here. This is over. You can come. We're going to have an invitation. Let's just take some time to pray about this, but I preached a whole sermon on giving. I don't think I mentioned the word tithe one time. I thought about that. I didn't say it because... So many times we focus on that mechanical aspect of what we call giving. But God says all giving should be just done from the heart. We shouldn't be coerced in doing it. I understand there's nothing wrong with the tithe and all of those things, but let's not focus on that. Because when we focus, when we put our, our heart and our mind upon Loving God for what he has done for us is loving God for his unspeakable gift and then loving what God loves. Guess what? Every need ever, that could ever arise would be met. Do you know that? Every need would be met. What a wonderful, awesome thing to, uh, to think about. May God work in our hearts and stir, continue to stir our hearts in this time of invitation. If you would, with your head bowed, eyes closed, let's stand. To our-